Hi, Journey. How's everyone doing today? Great to be with all of you, especially if you're a guest maybe with us for the first time. We're delighted to have you here today. It's winter time, isn't it? You like feel it out there. And in November, uh, around Journey, we devote the entire month to the invitation to the role that every single one of us has to play in serving orphans and widows and the poor and the oppressed and the downtrodden and those who live on the margins of society. And the reason that we take this up every single November, the reason we spend an entire month asking and inviting and challenging you to consider your role in bringing justice around the world is because the scriptures are quite clear that this really, really matters to God. That we are all, as followers of Jesus Christ, on the hook to bring God's kingdom, to bring his justice right here on the planet. I want you to hear from a couple of our friends, Caleb and Laura, today, who realize how very much this all matters to God and are seeking day by day to step more into their role. If you'd watch this, please. For us, adoption's about giving back. I was adopted at two days old, and because of that, I have a strong passion for adoption. Um, God called us to adoption, and I honestly feel like... um, He taught me that I was chosen and I was loved because of my adoptive parents. Yeah, and uh, I've always been excited about adoption, and Laura's adopted, and it's been something that we even talked about before we were married, actually, about moving forward on something like this. And so it just gives us the option to to reach out and to serve somebody uh, and to love on somebody who otherwise uh, may not feel loved in their lifetime. You know, Psalm 139 talks about how God knitted us together in our mother's womb, um, before we were born, uh, before we knew him. I think that's something for me that really shows who God is. Um, It shows us a deep love and passion that he has for us and that he is intimately involved in our lives. And we really want to give that to our biological and adoptive kids. I really feel this huge passion for teaching other kids and other people to know that just because something happened in their past doesn't mean that they're not chosen and that they're not loved, because they are. Mm -hmm. And really, I think for us at the end of the day, adoption is about uh, living out the gospel Mm -hmm. and to love on somebody who otherwise um, doesn't necessarily have the opportunity to have a family and have people who care about them. And so we just get really excited about that. It also gives them to experience um, what it means to see Christ uh, in their life, uh, to where otherwise they they won't see that. I think the biggest thing for us is we wanted to expand our family, and God called us to do it this way. Thanks, Caleb and Laura. Good job sharing a bit of your story. To learn more about your role in our orphan care and adoption ministry, please just write Encompass on that info card in the chair pocket in front of you and drop it into a silo on your way out today, and someone from our Encompass team will be in touch with you. We're calling this month's focus on our role in bringing justice right here to the planet. We're calling it Kingdom Come, and we think that's a pretty apt title Especially because God's plan for his kingdom is that it comes through us. There isn't a plan B. God's kingdom comes through our lives, through what we do, through acts of service, through our words even, 
into this broken and damaged, hurting, dark world. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 56 and just sort of hold your place there if you would. It was about five years ago, I was whistling along through life. Journey was a couple of years old at that time. We were absolutely and entirely seeking everything, we, doing everything we knew to do to bring the kingdom through this church in the Gallatin Valley. People around here were coming to faith in Christ. They were growing up in their newfound faith. We were engaged in serving our communities. We were always on the lookout for new opportunities to make a difference and bring the kingdom of God right here in our valley. And then one day the Lord sort of got my attention and said, Brian, that's all well and good. And what about the rest of the world? That's all well and good, but what about the rest of the world? What about all the people on other continents who live on a dollar or a day or less in some cases, much, much less in many cases? How are you personally and how is the church that you lead bringing the kingdom of God, bringing my justice to them? And it was sort of an arresting question, as you might imagine. Stop me dead in my tracks. I didn't have a good answer. I didn't even have a mediocre answer. Absolutely, I'd been on mission trips in the past, quite a few of them, actually. I had led mission trips. I sponsored an entire family in Guatemala. It started with a mom and a dad and a son, and then the mom just kept cranking out babies, babies, and my sponsorship kept increasing, and then one day they just moved out of the project that they were a part of and left. Nobody ever saw them again. Nobody knew where they went. I'd visited that family on a couple of occasions, and that was, though, back in history. Now, in this sort of new season of life, we were going hard. We were, all of us, kind of hanging onto the back bumper of this cool move of God called Journey, doing all the things that we knew to do to bring the kingdom of God here. We were busy, plates were very full, and the Lord, through that conversation, began to awaken me to this stinging reality that the kingdom of God was not coming through me or through our church on other continents, in other places. We were not bringing justice to the poor and to the oppressed and the downtrodden, to those who live on the margins of society in other places. Lots of, lots of stuff around here was going great, up and to the right in lots and lots of realms. But we didn't have even a mediocre answer for what we were doing on the justice-bringing front other places. And as part of this dialogue that I was having with the Lord, I started to come to this conviction that today, honestly, is just as white hot as it was five years ago, maybe even hotter to this day, and it's this, that us, me, we, journey as a whole, we actually don't have any credibility in the Gallatin Valley, in Montana, in ministry with the gospel, with bringing the kingdom of God to Bozeman and Belgrade and beyond, if we are not at the very same time involved in bringing justice to the poor and to the oppressed and to the downtrodden, as well as to those who live on the margins of society in other places around the world. We don't have credibility here if we're not doing that there. This white-hot conviction that just burned in my soul. And what I sensed the Lord was saying to me was, Brian, it's fantastic journey. It's all about this God stuff in Bozeman and Belgrade, the Gallatin Valley. And it's cool that you're praying and asking me to do these great God-sized stuff, special stuff. But what about my kids around the globe? What about my kids around the globe? Will you, Brian, will you journey, see the bigger picture? Because you see, what you do over there 
really, really matters. And I was, again, quite alarmed by this dialogue, kind of like, I better get this solved. I better figure this out. I'm not apparently getting it. And so, Lord, what is it? What does it look like for us to bring your justice over there? And so I knew what I I knew what I could do to try to figure that out. And so me and a few folks, we got on an airplane and we went to Ethiopia for several very good reasons. We went to Ethiopia and we had our worlds rocked, frankly. I've never been the same. Our family has never been the same. Really, journey's never been the same since then. And because of that focus, lots of other things began to get real, real clear. One of them is this, that God does indeed have a grand plan for every single one of his kids around the world, and you and I are a part of it. We're an active, tangible part of it all. We're very, very, very much at the center of God's plan, not just here in our own backyard, but around the entire world. And Isaiah chapter 56, verses 1 and 2, makes it real clear what it is that that looks like. Through the prophet Isaiah, to the people of God, This is what the Lord says. Be just and fair to some? No. Be just and fair to all. Do what is right and good. For I am coming soon to rescue you and to display my righteousness among you. Blessed are all those who are careful to do this. And so the prophet Isaiah, he's writing... And if you start at the very beginning of the book of Isaiah, you know that he had his eyes, Isaiah the prophet, had his eyes specially opened by God. And he looked on and he looked across the nation of Israel and he saw the, quote, people of God, while they were God's people in name, they were not at all anywhere close to being the people that God had in mind for his people to be and become. They were miles away. The nation of Israel at this time really lied in ruins. They were a mess. Quite a mess. And God gets Isaiah's attention, opens his eyes and says, look at my people, look at the disrepair that they were in. And Isaiah saw that with crystal clarity. And then you fast forward from chapter 1 in Isaiah to Isaiah chapter 6. Many of you know the story. Isaiah had his eyes specially opened to see God himself. Whoa. Isaiah saw God. And as you might imagine, that was something else. He set his eyes on God, and when he did, he was wrecked. He was absolutely wrecked. And he went away from that encounter, and what did he say? Woe is me. Woe is me. He saw how perfect and how holy and how magnificent, how glorious God was, and then he looked on his own life, and he's going like, I'm just a worm. I'm just a worm. Maybe you've had a similar experience with God. And then this unbelievable set of circumstances, God specially opens Isaiah's eyes to Jesus, to the Messiah, the one who was coming, the one who would be fully human, fully divine, the one who would be the law, the one who would be the word of the Lord, the one who would be the branch of the Lord, Emmanuel, God with us, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace the Davidic king, the triumphant king, the foundation stone, our teacher, our servant of the Lord, savior of the world, bringer of the gospel, conqueror, judge of all 
the earth. All those are titles that Isaiah used to define and describe Jesus. That's who he is. And from Isaiah's perspective, he was looking forward some 700 years from his speaking and writing ministry. And he saw Jesus. And he said, that's, that's the one. The one we've been waiting for. The one we've been expecting. The one we've been hoping. Here he comes. And then a whole bunch of other things unfold all throughout the book of Isaiah. And we arrive at Isaiah chapter 56. And in Isaiah 56, Isaiah is seeking, God is seeking through the prophet Isaiah to set the people of God up, to set the nation of Israel up, to understand it isn't just about you, Israel. It isn't just about you. God says, look, Israel, I created all people from every corner of the planet in my image. I love and I care for every single one of them, no matter where they're from, no matter what they've been about. I'm after them. As a matter of fact, Israel, I'm working out a plan for all people, not just for you, Israel, not just for the people who are called the people of God, but rather for everyone. And then he says, you, the ones who call yourselves my children, the ones who are called the people of God, you have a role to play in this. And it's very, very clear what it is you're supposed to be about. Look at what he says, Isaiah 56, 1 and 2. Be just and fair to all. Word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah to the people of God. Be just and fair to all. Not just some, but to everyone. And the Hebrew word here is this word mishfat, which means to rectify things that are wrong. You, people of God, you go get about making things right that are wrong. You bring the hope and the justice and the reconciliation of God to every person on planet earth. And then he also says, do what is right and good. Do what is right and good. Hebrew word is sadek. To make things right with God and with other people. It has this vertical sense as well as a horizontal sense to it with God, with People, you go bring the hope and the justice and the reconciliation of God to bear through everything you do and everything you say. It isn't just a little sideline concern. This is supposed to be right down the center of your life, everything that you are about. You go bring his reconciliation with and to everyone on planet Earth. Because God's plan does not exclude anyone. God's work, God's invitation is all inclusive. God wants to make crystal clear that everyone knows that we're all created equal. He shouts it from the mountaintops as a matter of fact. We're equal in dignity. We're equal in worth. We're equal in how we're loved by our perfect and righteous and holy God. From the foreigner to the poorest widow right here, right next door to us, we are equal in God's sight. And then you go down to Isaiah 56, 5, and this is so cool. And look at what God says through the prophet Isaiah. I, this is God, I will give them, God will give them within the walls of my house. Because you see, the invitation is wide open. The door to the house is wide open. I will give them a memorial and a name that is far greater than sons and daughters could ever give. For the name I give them is an everlasting name. It will never disappear. God's saying through his prophet Isaiah to everyone whom I've welcomed into my house, which is everybody from everywhere, I give you a memorial and a name that is far greater than the sons and daughters could ever give. 
Imagine that. Now what's going on with the memorial and a name thing? 2 Samuel 18, 18, here's what we see. A little background information to what's going on in Isaiah. During his lifetime, Absalom had built a monument to himself in the king's valley. He built a monument to himself in the king's valley. Does that strike anyone? He's going to build a monument to myself. Why? Here's why. He said, I have no son to carry on my name. He doesn't have any descendants. And so he says, i got to have a way of perpetuating my name. And so he named the monument after himself. It's known as Absalom's Monument to this day. In the King's Valley, there it is. And his name lives on in perpetuity to this very day. Thousands of years later. Look, we're still talking about Absalom. Thousands of years later. He wanted his name to live on. What's going on with Absalom? Well, we know he's the third son of who? King David, that's exactly right. I heard two of you get the answer right. Good job. He was born into a polygamous marriage, and Absalom met a very, very unfortunate end to his life. It's kind of a good thing that he built a monument to himself. You know the story. Absalom is battling against his father and King David's men, and Absalom was absolutely known for this incredible hair. Like He, he had a do that men and women alike would die to have the spectacular, like he would walk into a room and and all the hair on that man's head. I mean, it was a spectacular hairdo. So here he is, he's out in battle. He's riding a very stately mule in battle. Picture Absalom, right? And he's seeking to take after his father and his father's men. And he ducked underneath a low-hanging tree And his hair, his spectacularly and perfectly quaffed hair, got caught in the low-hanging tree branches. Mules are incredibly smart animals, and so it just kept going. And so there was Absalom, and he's literally suspended in the air by his hair, hanging in space. And you can kind of see him kicking his legs, trying to get his big hair untangled. There he is. Whoa. Whoa. And some of David's men, they knew where Absalom was hanging out. No pun intended. As a groaner. And they didn't go kill him. They had mercy. They understood that King David had actually asked him to spare his son Absalom, please. But Joab, one of David's men, he doesn't have a heart at all. And so he goes out and he finds Absalom, you know, hanging out. And he takes three daggers and just plunges them into his heart. Three daggers, killing him. And so it's a good thing that Absalom had built that monument. He didn't have any kids. He wanted his name to live on forever and ever. And that's his life. And he built this monument to himself because he wanted his name to live on. And names are powerful things, aren't they? Names are incredibly powerful things. Things And in Isaiah, now fast forward back to Isaiah chapter 56, and God says, all of you who have come into my kingdom, whether you have children or whether you don't have children, it doesn't matter. You have a name and it's coming from me, God says. You have a name and you have a heritage and you have, this is really what it's about, you have a legacy that nothing, not even the longest line of descendants you can imagine can ever equal. You have a name and you have a place. You have eternal life and you have eternal glory that is absolutely unmatched, God says. Your name really, really matters. You have a name 
and you have a place. And that's just one of the many ways that God says to people everywhere, from every corner of planet Earth, you could not matter any more than you do right now. God says, I can't love you any more than I do right in this moment. And it isn't just the people of God, it's everyone, everywhere, four corners of the planet. And he says, you, my people, the ones who call yourselves my children, your responsibility, your job is to bring the hope and the justice and the reconciliation of God to people everywhere. We are absolutely and entirely on the hook, church. We're entirely on the hook. And there's power in a name. I met Dana, my lovely and gracious wife, through her aunt who served with me at Faith Evangelical Church in Billings. Uh, You would call Faith Evangelical, I do, our grandmother church, right? Faith Evangelical planted Harvest Church, and Harvest Church planted us, and that makes Faith Evangelical our grandmother church. And so I worked with Dana's Aunt Linda, and she sort of set me up with her niece, Dana. Now, as a youth pastor, a single eligible youth pastor at Faithy, every old lady in our church had somebody for me to meet. Old lady, young lady, they had somebody for me to meet. I would get the strangest calls from women in our church. Brian, it's Mildred here. Hi, Mildred. I was wondering if you could mentor my granddaughter, Mildred said. Great, I was the youth pastor, right? And so I figured, yeah, her granddaughter's probably in middle or high school. I'm not going to mentor her myself, but I'll find somebody who will. Well, actually, she's 24. Oh, I, I see. And Brian, my granddaughter is beautiful. I'm sure she is, I said. And then, I'm not kidding, I'm not making this up. Now, my granddaughter's put on about 20 pounds in the past year. Grandmas aren't supposed to say that about their granddaughters to people who are complete strangers, especially, but I'm sure that that weight will fall right off when she meets the right guy, I mean mentor. And that's the kind of thing that would get like, come on, I just got tired and tired and tired of it. I just want to help students grow up in Christ. I don't want to be set up with, you know. But I worked pretty closely with Dana's Aunt Linda, and she just wore me down. She just wore me down. And so finally one day I was like, okay, Linda, uh, I'll send your niece, what's her name? Dana. I'll send this Dana girl an email if you'll shut up about her. If you'll never say another word, I'll send her an email. Promise? She promised. Okay, done. So I get her email address. I wrote the most pathetic email you've ever heard in your life. Hi, Dana. Your Aunt Linda has been bugging me to email you, and I told her I would, and so how are you, and yada, yada. I mean, it's a, I'm a complete, like it's a cold-calling email, right? A cold-calling setup email. And then I, I signed it, sincerely, Brian, I actually have the email to this very day, I'll show it to you sometime. And then I put a PS after my signature. By the way, you have a really cool name. <laughs> really? Like the nerdiest thing a guy could ever say to a woman. I just said it. Like, you could say, I really like your name. That'd be cool, right? Or Dana, dot, dot, dot. Never heard that name before. I like the sound of that. Something like that. That would have been good, but not me. P.S. I'm a geek, and you have a really cool name. I'm pretty sure it was that line that caused her to fall in love with me. Just a really cool name. But names are weighty things. 
Names are incredibly weighty things because they're intrinsically tied to who you are, your identity, who your family is, all these things that even your name conveys about you. It's you. Names are powerful. They're powerful to the good and they're also powerful to the bad when people forget your name. Ah, nice of you to care so much about me that you forgot my name. Or how about the times when people have abused your name? Have people ever called you names, maybe because of your race or because of your economic standing or maybe just because people are jerks some of the time? And God says, look, I invite you, all of you, from every corner of planet Earth, I invite you into my house, into my kingdom, where none of all that negative name stuff matters anymore. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation, you come into my kingdom And no matter what anybody's ever done or said about your name, your name and your legacy and your heritage is unsurpassed in me. You can't imagine. And God says, us, you and I, the church, his people, we're to be about bringing his redemption, his reconciliation, his justice to every person on planet earth because he loves them. And he loves them so much he sent Jesus to die on the cross for them to pay my price, my penalty Take my shame and guilt all for me. You have a role and a responsibility. It isn't just those people over there. We have a role and a responsibility. Which is why as we start to wrap up our time for today, for this month of November, every single thing we talk about in the next three weekends is about us really doing three three things, just three things with regard to bringing justice Three commitments that I'm asking you to make today when it comes to being the hands and feet of Jesus on the planet, when it comes to bringing his kingdom to the poor and to the oppressed, to the downtrodden, to those who live on the margins of society around the world. The first one is that you will see. This is the first commitment that I'm asking you to make today. I will see. Very, very simple. I will see. And we don't always like to see, though, do we? I mean, we like to see, but we don't like to See, let me explain. Sometimes when you go shopping in Bozeman and around the valley, uh, you see people standing on street corners holding signs, don't you? And those signs usually imply something like, I need help, please, would you think about helping me? And how many of us, and I put myself on the hook for this too, how many of us just try not to even see that person? We don't even make eye contact, right? We're like changing the radio station, messing with our phone. Maybe I got a text. Hopefully I got a text here. Because I really just, I, I don't. What if the invitation to every single one of us was you'll just start by seeing that person? And it starts right here in our own backyard, doesn't it? And then it goes on around the world, because as long as we don't see it, it's real easy for us to just let our heads hit the pillow at night and think that's someone else's problem, someone else's deal. I'm not, uh, nope. Someone else will take care of that. Being the hands and feet of Jesus on planet Earth starts with us seeing the poor and the oppressed and the downtrodden, the widow, 
the orphan, those who live on the margins of society, first invitation, will you see? And it's something that Jesus himself actually does. Matthew chapter 14, we understand in the early part of the chapter that Jesus has just found out that John the Baptist is dead. Jesus is immensely upset by this. And then in verse chapter 14, verse 13 of Matthew, here's what the Bible says. As soon as Jesus heard the news, that's that John the Baptist was dead, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. He's devastated that his friend John the Baptist has just been murdered, and he just wants to be alone. You you can imagine how that would feel, right? And check this out. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns, And so you see Jesus is, verse 14, he's pulling up on the shore wherever he was going, and what does he do? He saw the huge crowd. Jesus sees. And we see people standing around in our town, and we think about people on other continents who are in a ditch for whatever reason, and we get sometimes real judgmental, right? And we start to think, like, I have a job, why don't you have a job? You could just get a job. Why don't you fix, pull yourself up by, come on, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get after it. I am. Why don't you, but it starts right here. Jesus saw the huge crowd. He's stepping out of the boat. He wants to be all by himself. He's ticked off that security wasn't better. How'd they find me? And he saw them. He didn't look past them. He didn't look through them. He saw them. First invitation, second invitation for the month of November, absolutely probably for the rest of our lives, though, is then I'll feel. I'll see first, and then I'll feel. You know, we see people standing around holding signs, and we get real judgmental, and we start to grumble to ourselves. And that's not the kind of feeling that Jesus is talking about, not the kind of feeling that Jesus is modeling. Look at the rest of verse 14. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. What did he do? He had compassion on them, Oh, these people, bless their hearts. And he felt, and it wasn't criticism. It wasn't, you bunch of jerks, why don't you just leave me alone? John the Baptist is dead, I just want to come out here and cry. He felt compassion on them. I'll see, I'll feel, third invitation for the rest of our lives, I'll act. I'll see, I'll feel, I'll act. Matthew 14, 14, the end part of the verse, what did he do? Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. He had compassion on them. And what's he do? He heals their sick. That's the last thing he feels like doing in that moment. And he just sort of sets that aside and says, okay, I'm in. God has another agenda for this day and I'm just gonna be about it. He acted. And he acted out of his compassion that was spurred by his seeing. So will you be about it? Start with seeing, feeling, acting. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would please and I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. Go to prayer if you would.
And in this time of quiet and prayer and meditation and reflection with the Lord, will you just ask him to drive the stake of those three commitments to the bedrock of your heart, bedrock of your soul, the bedrock of your life. I'll see, I'll feel, and I'll act. And the acting part, that, that's where you and the Lord kind of go on a little journey together. Lord, what is it that you want me to do? I get it. You absolutely have a part for me to play in your kingdom come. You have a part for me to play in your justice rolling down, rolling out, and I want to know what it is. And so you go on this little exploration with the Lord. Lord, I want to know what it is. But before we ever act, we got to see and we got to feel. See first. Feel second. Act third. Lord, I pray for these that you would cement that decision, that commitment deep into all of our hearts, every single one of us, that you would use it to transform all of us. Change us, Jesus, more and more like you, like you modeled. On that day when you found out that John the Baptist had died. And then to every single person, God says the doorway to you stepping into a relationship with him stands wide open. It doesn't matter where you're from, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter where you've been. God says, I want you to be part of my kingdom. I want to be in relationship with you. And maybe you're here today, within the hearing of my voice today, and you know you're not even close to living in harmony with God's life and will. God's invitation to you today is to take a step of saving faith, saving belief in him. You can do that by praying along with me a prayer that goes like this. I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, I get it. I'm a sinner. And I have no hope whatsoever of ever saving myself. I need you, Jesus. And so with all the faith I can muster in this moment, I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. I trust you with my heart, soul, mind, and strength as Savior and Lord of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for coming to earth. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you for rising from the dead on the third day. Thank you, Jesus, for showing me what it looks like to bring your kingdom. Here I am, Jesus, and I say thank you. Thank you for saving me. And if you're a person who prayed with me just then to step into the saving faith of God, that's the most momentous deal in your whole life. It's such a big deal. Around here, we invite people to tell us when they make that decision. I want you to know this is a private thing, just you, me, and God looking around this room right now. Nobody else, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you prayed with me just then to give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, asking him to be your Lord and Savior, would you be real bold right now and just slip your hand up and lock eyes with me and just say yes? I'm stepping into a personal relationship. Yeah, in the back, absolutely. In here, yes, absolutely. And over there to my right, both of you, absolutely. 
saying yes with you. I'm standing with you. Absolutely over here. Absolutely, yes. 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 Way to go. And in the back to my left, absolutely, yes. And there, yes, to my right, absolutely, way to go. The biggest day of your whole life, right there. Yes. And in the back, yes, absolutely. And so Jesus, we thank you so much for all of these who are stepping into new life in you. I pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to them in special, new, fresh ways via your Holy Spirit. God, that you would scoop them up and draw them to yourself. God, may the rest of us embrace them. Show them what it means to live life with you, for you, in you. You are the best, Jesus, and we thank you for your life, and we thank you for your example. We especially thank you for your death and rising, Jesus.